voice hearings, voice 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 hearings, voice 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 this is Hearing Voices, conversations with the voices that bring the excitement of college sports alive. Now, here's your host, the voice of your fighting Tigers, Chris Blair. Welcome back in, Tiger fans. It's another week of LSU Fighting Tiger football. And, of course, uh, that also means it's another week of Hearing Voices, where we introduce you to the voices you hear bringing college sports alive on the radio and television and streaming and wherever you consume uh, your sports audio. And this week, the Georgia State Panthers come in to take on the Tigers. It's a Saturday night in Death Valley with kickoff at 7 o'clock. First meeting ever between the Panthers and Tigers. So uh, happy to bring on to the show this week, and he's nice enough to join us. Longtime voice of the Panthers, a guy I've known for a number of years, a great human being, great broadcaster, Dave Cohen. Thanks for joining us. It's a busy week. I know you're getting ready to come here to South Louisiana, but thanks for taking time to join us this week on Hearing Voices. Appreciate it, Chris. Uh, you know, our paths have crossed uh, a number of times back in the day, so uh, nice to have our paths crossed again. Looking forward to getting to Baton Rouge, and hopefully Georgia State football will play a little better than we played the last three weeks. We'll All see. right, let's uh, let's – let everybody know, of course, uh, before getting to LSU, I was at Georgia Southern, and as I said, uh, over four decades for you at Georgia State, and um, even though they they didn't meet a lot, uh, at least when I got to uh, Statesboro, eventually both teams entered into the Sunbelt Conference, um, and uh, then it became a pretty heated rivalry uh, between both schools, as you can imagine, one in Atlanta, one in Statesboro. Uh, and I would argue, Dave, that uh, since I left in 2015, which um, happened to be the first win Georgia State had over Georgia Southern, and it was a huge win, a beatdown. Uh, it was Willie Fritz's last game as head coach. It was my last game on the air for Georgia Southern. Um, but it's become a heated rivalry, and I would argue probably a better in-state rivalry in the true sense of a rivalry than Georgia and Georgia Tech, which, of course, everybody thinks of when they think of the Peach State. But, you know, Georgia Tech hasn't had a lot of success to begin with, and they haven't won since Kirby's first year in 2016. But since that first meeting in football in 2014, uh, the Panthers and, and Eagles get after each other. Well, they sure do. And, uh, you know, the rivalry goes back to when I first got to Georgia State in 1982 because both teams well georgia state was an independent but soon to join the old transamerica athletic conference which became the atlantic sun which is now known as the a sun so georgia state and georgia southern were in the league together for a number of years but georgia state didn't have football until 2010 so the rivalry really only existed in a men's basketball women's basketball baseball kind of world it really it really hit the ground running, as you mentioned, in uh, 2014. I think it was 69-31, the final score. Georgia Southern came into the Georgia Dome in Atlanta, dropped the hammer on Georgia State in that first meeting. And then you're right, that the next year, 2015, Georgia State's 5-6. and six. They go back down to Paulson Stadium in Statesboro, and uh, they, they give Georgia Southern, which I believe is still the case, the worst loss in Paulson Stadium history, 34-7, and that clinched the first ever bowl game for Georgia State at the Auto Nation Cure Bowl. So the point I'm trying to bring about with, with re recapping those two games, they were really two games to the extreme. The first one was to the extreme in favor of Georgia Southern, 
and the second one was to the extreme in favor of Georgia State. And that really ignited the rivalry uh, to the next level because it was football and not just basketball or baseball. Dave Cohen, our guest this week, voice of the Georgia State Panthers. They're coming in this Saturday for a 7 o'clock Central kickoff. And uh, for those Tiger fans who maybe have heard Georgia State uh, in the last several years, maybe don't have kind of a grip on on the history, uh, as Dave kind of pointed out there, uh, Georgia State, uh, you know, their first football season, uh, Bill Curry was the head coach, former Alabama coach, former Kentucky coach, and he was kind of part of a, a group that wanted to start football there in the late 2000s. And uh, eventually they, they started a football program, which, again, um, it, what I wanted to talk to you about, Dave, is that, as you said, um, it's amazing to me. Forty Is it 41 years this year that you've been on the air in, in some capacity for some sport at Georgia State? Yeah, this is year 41. It started out primarily men's basketball, a little bit of women's basketball when it didn't conflict, and then baseball. And then, you know, all the years – uh, well, for 12 years prior to Georgia State starting in 2010, I was up in Greenville on the weekends with your friend and mine, Chuck Hushin, as part of the Furman University football radio network. And Because if, if you wanted to work football in some capacity, you know, I had been uh, at WCNN here in Atlanta for six years after WGST and was a was a small part of the Georgia Tech radio network back in the days of the legendary Al Seraldo, but that was mainly pregame and, and postgame type stuff. If I wanted to be a part of a football broadcast at a higher level, I was going to have to travel outside of Atlanta because all we had was Georgia Tech in Georgia. And uh, Larry Munson had been at Georgia, as you know, for all of those years, and now Scott does those games. But uh, I was able to connect with Chuck. He and I were friendly, uh, you know, prior to me joining uh, Furman. And so I was I was up there with the Paladins for 12 years and, again, got to see the Furman-Georgia Southern part of the rivalry there. And then Georgia State added it in 2010. And it uh, was no more back and forth up Interstate 85 on the weekends at all kinds of crazy hours. And um, even though I enjoyed my time at Furman, you know, it was it was a great experience. The difference here at Georgia State is I'm a Georgia State alum. So it's not just a job. There's some passion and, uh, you know, the, the, the 41 years have really meant a lot uh, seeing this program. For what it was in 1982, uh, in a small suite of five offices on the first floor of the Georgia State Sports Arena to what it has become here uh, in the 14th season of college football, Whoever would have thought that that Georgia State athletics would be where it is today? Yeah, it's one of the things uh, I was going to get into it with uh, with you on today's program. But but before I do that, it, it is worth noting that first of all, forty one years, and, and uh, you're you're a young man, and I've known you for again at least over oh, almost fifteen years. Um, and, and I, it's amazing. I, I was preparing for the show and I thought 41 years. I mean, I knew when I think Georgia state, I think Dave Cohen, but it, it's, it's an amazing, amazing career there and all the things and all the changes and all the growth that you have seen at Georgia state athletics. But, but one of the things that, that stood out to me and, and I, and I get this question a lot, uh, from young broadcasters. So how do I get here? or How do I go do this? And usually it's pretty simple. Um, it's go do games um, wherever you can do games at whatever level 
do it as many times as you possibly can. And one of the things that, as you touched on, I admired was while you were at Georgia State, um, as an alum, uh, a part of the fabric of that program, and and calling basketball, women's basketball, and baseball, you 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 had the forethought to go, you know what, I I don't know if Georgia State will ever get football, but if I ever want to be able to do football, I better go find somewhere to do it. Now, Atlanta's not that far away from Greenville, South Carolina. It's right up I-85, but again, it's it's up and back is is takes a considerable amount of time and, and effort. But but I think it's a good lesson um, because, lo and behold, Georgia State would eventually start a, a, a group looking at football. Then 2010, you start the first season – but anybody who knows anything about this business, and I think you would agree, Dave, calling basketball for 35 years doesn't translate to being able to call football effectively or vice versa or baseball or soccer or whatever sport you want to get into. You, you have to have the reps in that particular sport. You have to know something about the sport. Um, so kudos to you. You know, you, you, you maybe didn't know Georgia State was getting football, but you thought, hey, I got to be ready if I ever get that opportunity anywhere. And, and to take that effort and, and take those weekends and follow the paladins of Furman University, my wife's uh, alma mater, by the way, um, shout out, um, to, 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 to learn your craft. And I think that's a good lesson for anybody who's maybe younger and wants to get into this business. Yeah, you're right. And I was fortunate to uh, be able to be a part of the Furman Radio Network and to learn from Chuck from a football standpoint, because again, Again, the six or seven years that I was at WCNN as part of the Georgia Tech broadcast, again, it was really only in the pregame, postgame type fashion. It had nothing to do with learning to call a game. I mean, I've listened to Al Seraldo many times. I've listened to Munson many times. Very distinct styles. You know, legends among us that you just don't see those kind of broadcasters anymore. But you're right. In order for me to get the reps – I had to go beyond being able to listen to the guys that I was able to listen to here in Atlanta. You know, I grew up in Boston or the Boston area. So I grew up as a Red Sox, a Bruins, a Celtics and a Patriots fan. And again, we didn't have the kind of television options that we have today. When I was a kid, you know, you had three regular affiliates and a, a couple of UHF stations. So a lot of it, a lot of your consumption of sports was done on the radio. We listened to the radio more back when I was a kid, I think, than a lot of people do today, or they consume it differently today. So you you end up with a kind of a hodgepodge of people that I was able to listen to back when I was younger, and then when I got to Atlanta, to be able to learn from. But at the end of the day, as you, as you talk to young broadcasters, you can listen and listen and listen, and that's going to take you, in my opinion, to a certain point but ultimately, you've got to sit down. You've got to put the headsets on. You have to do the preparation work before you ever put the headsets on. And I and you have to be able to forge a style. Um, and it took me, you know, Furman afforded me the opportunity to do that. I was not the main play-by-play guy there. Chuck Cushion was. And I was able to learn from him. And I did get opportunities when they'd be on television to move into the radio seat and do play-by-play for him that, kind of opened the door along with doing high school. I mean, I had done high school football play-by-play at a couple, you know, in a couple of different opportunities in Gainesville and in Smyrna uh, prior to the Furman opportunity. So it's not that I had not done it, but I had not done it long enough to where I felt like I had forged um, a style. 
Basketball, I could do with my, you know, like you could probably do that with my eyes closed. I've done it for, you know, now going on 41 years. That was the sport and baseball that I had done. But football took a little bit, you know, more of a, an effort to become comfortable in forging a style. And nothing, like you said, beats being able to show up at a game and do the game. But like you, I'm at practice usually three days a week, uh, doing interviews that we run during the week getting, you know, at the beginning of the season and the summer and the fall, getting to know the players so that you got a working relationship. It's not just sitting down and doing the game. It's all that prep work that goes on Monday through Friday that gets you ready for Saturday that, you know, in a lot of, you know, makes me think that you'll do a better job on Saturday based on the work you do Monday through Friday. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that's that's one of the things I've said. I mean, you you're ready for the game uh, on Friday because if you're not, uh, Saturday is going to be a disaster if you just think you can show up uh, and and do it the right way. So it's it's all about preparation. But again, a great lesson there on if you see an opportunity or, or have a chance to ask about an opportunity when you get it, uh, by all means, I would recommend go do it. Grab it with both hands. Dave Cohen, our guest this week. He'll be on the call for uh, Georgia State this coming Saturday as the Panthers take on the Tigers, 7 o'clock kickoff inside Tiger Stadium. Uh, before we talk about Georgia State a little bit, uh, again, uh, a renaissance man, so to speak. You've called all the sports we've talked about. Uh, even a published author, um, which I found interesting reading into that uh, earlier this week uh, about Jewish Americans, some of the standout Jewish Americans uh, in, in professional baseball. And uh, again, I, you talk about all the prep you got to do preparing for games. I, I don't. I can't even imagine at this point having the time to to sit down, research, write, and and edit a book. But uh, again, I, I'm in awe. Congratulations. Well, thank you. That took me uh, just a little over seven years to do from the when I started. I had gone to a book signing uh, a number of months prior to, I uh, finally published it in 2010. So back it up seven years, let's say late 2002, early 2003 it was, a. Uh, remember, do you remember, uh, the baseball player, Virgil trucks? Yes. You remember that name? Okay. So his grandson or great nephew or whatever did this book, which is, I would, re I would wholeheartedly recommend this book. It's called cup of coffee. And it's interviews with, I think, 23 or 25 baseball players who had a cup of coffee in Major League Baseball. Some of them appeared in one game. Some of them got one at bat. Um, but you wouldn't think it's a really interesting book, but it is because you can look at it two ways. Were they a failure because they spent most of their career in the minors and, and barely got a shot at the majors? Or... Would we, would we deem them successful at some level because they ultimately did make it to the major leagues? You know, some of them were there for a week. Some of them were a September call-up that was there late. Anyway, I go to that book signing and I meet a gentleman by the name of Larry Yellen. Rob, Rob Trucks is the author, and he would try to have one of the guys that he interviewed for the book at each book signing. So I meet Larry Yellen, and I didn't know who Larry Yellen was. Turns out he's a former Major League Baseball player, Jewish guy, 14 games. His entire Major League career was 14 games with the Houston Colt 45s in 65. <laughs> wow. 
who became the Astros in 66. And it turns out he lived here in Atlanta. So I don't know, reading that book kind of just turned a light bulb on in my head. And I just thought, well, you know, I can take what Rob's done and I can make it even a more narrow uh, approach and just focus in on Jewish former legion, uh, former major leaguers, of which there's not very many of them. Most people can only name a couple. Sandy Koufax and Hank Greenberg are the legendary guys, maybe an Al Rosen from that era. Uh, but it turned out that I ended up interviewing Larry. I interviewed Ron Bloomberg, who was with the Yankees and White Sox, who still lives here in Atlanta, and Rod, uh, Ron's best known for being the first player to ever appear in a game as a designated hitter. That was against Louis Tion, the Red Sox. Anyway, my point is, those were the first two that I interviewed, and I just kept tracking guys down and tracking guys down until I got to a point where I felt like I was ready to publish. And the interesting thing about it, Chris, is that it published in 2010, and I'm actually little by little still working on it. I've done six interviews since, and if uh, I've got three or four guys that I want to interview, and we will we will eventually, knock on wood, publish the second edition that will be called Matzo Balls and Baseballs, second inning. Yeah, I was going to give you the plug, Matzo Balls and Baseballs. Actually, you can pick it up right now on Amazon, probably anywhere online books are sold. And uh, I just looked it up, Dave. And uh, for anybody who's interested in that, uh, want to read that book and those uh, interviews, it's uh, right there. All you got to do, and I guess like everything else in the world, just go to Amazon. Dave Cohen, our guest this week, uh, author, broadcaster, uh, raconteur, so to speak. Let's, um, let's move ahead to this matchup, Georgia State uh, and LSU. It's the first meeting, as I said from the outset. Um, you know, introduce us to this Panther team. Uh, Sean Elliott has done a remarkable job. A uh, little parallel, Trent Miles was was the coach at Georgia State when I was at Georgia Southern. He's now an analyst here at LSU, and I see him uh, on a weekly basis and certainly in and around the ball games and at the stadium. Uh, but this team this year uh, got off to a really solid start. And and I have said and go on record that the Sun Belt, to me, is, is the most powerful. I mean, I think of the SEC as the most powerful football league in college football top to bottom and then I don't know what if they call it the G5 anymore I, I don't know if they've got a new uh, name but for me the Sun Belt is is the most uh, impactful and and strongest G5 league I, I think they've obviously taken over Conference USA I would match them up against the AAC um, and and you know over the last several years Georgia State among others in that conference uh, have been perennial have had perennial bowl appearances. You guys get off to a great start, I think six and one to start the season, but here of late have lost three in a row. Injuries, um, just better competition. What, what have you seen? What are the coaches saying about the last couple of weeks as you guys try to get bowl eligible with two more opportunities, both of which on the road, LSU this week, and then you got to go and take on Old Dominion to finish out the year. Yeah, well, Chris, I think the difference this year, just backing up a little bit, you know, last year we opened up at South Carolina and then came home and lost to North Carolina the first time a P5 visited Center Park Stadium, which, by the way, you know, we play in the old Turner Field, uh, which which is a side story in and of itself. But the schedule this year was much more manageable, and it allowed Georgia State to not dig itself into a hole early in the season and start out 0-3 and 1-4, and, and then you spend the next month just trying to get back to 500. So this year it was at home with Rhode Island. 
followed up by a home game against UConn, and they won both of those games. And then they go on the road, and they win at UNC Charlotte. So now you're 3-0. Georgia State football had never been 3-0. Then we go to Coastal Carolina. And the interesting thing about that series is that in the entire series, the road team has won every game. And we go in, and we beat Coastal Carolina 30-17. to And now they're 4-0, and they've never been 4-0 before. They're two games away from being bowl eligible. Well, you know, reality hits because Troy comes in and they end up beating us 28-7. I'm not going to go through every game, but my point is, is that we have beaten the teams that we figured and felt good about beating. We have not played well as of late the last three weeks at Georgia Southern, at home with James Madison, and at home with Appalachian State. You're right about the Sun Belt, and you can drill down one step further and just – I. Uh, isolate the Sunbelt's Eastern Division. There's not an easy game if you want to term it easy uh, from top to bottom. As a matter of fact, the way we're playing right now, some of the other schools in the East would probably look at us, Georgia State, as the easy game. But there is no easy game in the Sunbelt Eastern Division. And I said last year when we let them in, you know, they got rid of Arkansas, Little Rock, and UT UT Arlington because those two schools would not play football. So they bring in Southern Miss, James Madison, Marshall, and Old Dominion. We basically let four wolves into the hen house. Um, and, you know, you see what James Madison is doing. And you see that this week Troy cracked the top 25. So there are two Sun Belt, East, uh, two Sun Belt schools that are in the top 25. Uh, the Sun Belt changed a lot a year and a half ago when those four new schools came in. And we, everybody looked around, and from a facility standpoint, facilities are getting better, indoor, outdoor, open-air practice facilities. Everything that you guys see in the SEC, we're seeing in the Sun Belt, just not to the same level and not to the same financial outlay that it takes to compete at the SEC level. The Sun Belt is no joke. And, um, again, what happened is Georgia Southern's having a pretty good year, even though they've hit a, a couple of bumps in the road the last couple of weeks. James Madison is taking is kicking behind and taking names. Appalachian State got off to a slow start. They've now won three straight, and we've never beaten them and didn't come close last week. Um, injuries have not really been a problem. Um, this year's football team looks a little different based on the transfer portal. You know, we lost five or six really good players. Jamari Thrash and Jeffrey Clark are in Louisville. Thomas Gore is down in Miami. Antavius Lane is at North Carolina. Michael Hayes is at West Virginia. Uh, Jamil Muhammad is at Southern Cal. We lost some pretty good players. And Coach Elliott and his staff had to go out and bring in some portal players along with the high school kids that they've signed. And they brought in five or six players that have come in and made an impact. Uh, from the transfer portal, but I think the difference, I think what has happened to us the last couple of weeks, and, you know, I say this in all honesty, Chris, right now we're a mid-level Sunbelt Division football program. We're not yet, and I, I underline yet, at the level that James Madison and that Appalachian State has played the last three weeks and that Georgia Southern prior to the last couple of weeks have been playing at. And that's just part of the building process 
that Coach Elliott and his staff find themselves in. And it's going to be like this every year. You know, the Sun, I mean, the, the SEC is difficult every single year at that level, the Power Five level. At the G5 level, it's going to be the same every year when it comes to Sunbelt Conference play. Georgia State, five bowl appearances since uh, starting the football program, as we mentioned, first season of 2010. They're three and two overall. Trent Miles took them once back in 2015. And as I said, uh, Coach Elliott, since arriving from, uh, well, Appalachian State to South Carolina, then to Georgia State, uh, has taken them on four bowl trips. And they're looking to get bowl eligible, trying their best. They've got uh, LSU on Saturday night. And then, as I said, Old Dominion coming up uh, to finish up the season. Dave, you know, a couple of sidebars here. Number one, you know, the, the, the transfer portal is on the mind of, of every coach in, in football. And, you know, I, I see it every day and every season here at LSU and the SEC level that, you know, it's, oh, this guy is going to go to this school. And, and But I've always said, and, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, that the way the system works now is almost more devastating to the G5 conferences because now if you're a coach and you have a great quarterback or a great receiver, a running back that breaks out in a single season, as you just touched on a moment ago in your case, once they do, they're always going to be looking to go to the Power Five. And, and, and even though I don't know who suffers the most, but it seems to me that, that the Sunbelt Conference's struggle because once you get a you know some of the great players that came out of the FCS and some of the great players that have come out of those mid-major programs uh now they're they're once they have that season if if they're not if they have eligibility left they're gonna go if if a power five team asks no question in the first inkling before the transfer portal even became a thing I guess it's been uh three years now we had a kid by the name of Jordan Strawn. You may remember him if you played LSU South Carolina. So he signs as a freshman, comes to Georgia State, develops into a really good player. Uh, his last year with us, he had 10 and a half sacks, was a really, really strong defensive player for us, a real impact player. And Georgia State developed him. And next thing you know, toward you know the end of the season comes and I'm hearing that uh, Jordan Strawn is transferring to South Carolina to play for the Gamecocks now how did that all come about I don't know but that's the first time that I remember us losing one of our top players that's pre-portal that's just a transfer um but that power five programs could then turn around and look down to the G5 level and build their depth and bring in a player or two or five that could come in and be an impact player like Jamari Thrash has been at Louisville or like uh, Antavius Lane at North Carolina as he's begun to get his feet wet. Now, he's a graduate transfer, but still went into the portal. Jamil Muhammad at Southern Cal. You know, these kids were all top contributing players for us. And it you're right, it – in a way, Chris, it almost relegates uh, G5 programs, Sunbelt, Conference USA, Mountain West, American Athletic, MAC. It almost relegates, in some instances, those programs to what we would term a AAA level to the Major League Power 5 programs. It's a lot easier. And you know, listen, you're there. You know the pressure these coaches are under 
to win football games yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And the portal has made it a lot easier to poach top G5 players that they think can come in and make an immediate impact as opposed to signing a high school player who may not be a five or a four star to come in and be able to help your football program ASAP. It's great for the power five. It's tough on the group of five programs. And I'm not singling Georgia State out. I'm sure across the Sun Belt, uh, every program lost really good players. I know how many how many Louisiana Raging Cajuns a couple of years ago transferred and are now playing for LSU. There's a few names on there that I can remember from uh, a year or two ago when we when we played Louisiana. But that's just the nature of college athletics now, and everybody's going to have to deal with it. And to be honest, the group of five now turns around like Pac-Man and poaches top players out of FCS. Two of our top uh, corners and safeties, Gavin Pringle um, and Ty G. Leach, Bucknell and Lehigh, back-to-back. Pringle's our leading uh, – he, he's our leader in interceptions. He had the interception at Louisiana four weeks ago that's, that preserved the win and Lafayette. So – Again, I, I say Pac-Man. Power 5 poaches the G5. G5 poaches FCS. I will say this for the G5, though. You do end up getting some players who transfer down from a Power 5 program to a G5 program looking for playing time and an opportunity, and that helps as well. So that is a benefit. G5's getting players both ways. They're getting Power 5 players coming down, FCS players moving up, that, that, that is a little bit of a benefit if you play your cards right and you're able to bring in the right the right players. Great point, Dave. It's uh, glass half full, glass half empty, I guess is the way you look at it. I tell all my Georgia Southern friends all the time, I think of the great names that played at Georgia Southern, Tracy Hamm, Adrian Peterson, both of them in the College Football Hall of Fame, Jarek McKinnon, who went on to have a great and still having a great pro career, Fred Stokes. I mean, the names go on and on. And I tell them, I say, hey, look, if the portal was involved back in Tracy Ham's day, he would not have been at Georgia Southern the number of years that he had. Um, and, and again, that's just the different world that we live in. Um, sidebar real quick as well, James Madison. Uh, Georgia Southern went through the transition when they decided to move up. Uh, they knew the rule, 13 and 14. They played, beat Florida in 13, season ends, and no FCS playoff, no nothing. Uh, the following year, Willie Fritz comes in, has a fantastic year, and no bowl. It's just part of it. Uh, I know there's a lot of noise in, in the Commonwealth of Virginia to say, we don't like the rule. And JMU is top 25, and JMU ought to play in this, and New York Six, and I, I don't know, man. It was the rule. <laughs> I mean, there's been a lot of programs that had to follow that rule. Uh, now, I understand that there may not be enough eligible bowl teams to, to fill slots, and maybe that is how that works. But as far as winning and playing in the Sunbelt title game, I mean, that's the rule. They knew the rule when they decided to move up. Am I wrong? No, you're exactly right. And it harkens back to when Georgia State was in the same league with James Madison and the Colonial Athletic Association before coming back to the Sunbelt. When we announced we were leaving the Colonial to come to the Sunbelt, by the way, Georgia State was an original Sunbelt member back in the mid-70s. Um from what I remember, JMU, so when you left the Colonial, and I think this may still be their rule, when you announced you were leaving the CAA, you were no longer eligible 
for postseason championships because they did not want a team that was on its way out the door to win and represent the conference in an NCAA tournament. Uh, from what I can remember, JMU was supportive of that rule. I could be wrong, but I, I seem to remember that they were supportive of that rule. They backed up the rule that the Colonial had in place. And let me just, as a sidebar to that, let me just say, we hear so much chatter from, let's say, the NCAA and various conferences and presidents and athletic directors who make these rules. At the end of the day, they're implementing rules that hurt only one group of people, the student athletes themselves. And everybody that claims to have the back and they care about the the, the, the student athlete and blah, 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 so on and so forth, all of these rules only hurt one group of people, the student athletes themselves. So all of the chatter, whether we agree with it or we don't agree with it, to me is very hypocritical on behalf of the people making the rules. Don't talk on one hand that you, you're, you're so concerned about the welfare and the well-being of student athletes and then implement rules that keep them based on a decision that they had nothing to do with, whether a team leaves a conference to go to another conference, and then you don't let them compete for a championship. But it is what it is. And would James Madison be as loud about this if they were 0-10 or 2-8? Probably not. But see, like Georgia Southern and like Appalachian State, when they, trans when they transferred out of the Southern Conference into the Sun Belt, as you remember, they were both at the top of their game. They were you're, you're talking about top 10, top 15 SOCON programs every year. You're talking about teams that won FCS national championships. They both transitioned into the Sun Belt from the SOCON with relative ease. It's only in the last year or two that, like even App State, this year and last year has not had the kind of seasons they were having when they first came into the Sun Belt, even though they're hitting, the, they're hitting their stride right now. But James Madison is in that same situation. You're talking about a program that's a perennial top five FCS program prior to making the decision to come to the FBS level. And they're good. They're really good. It's a window of opportunity. And it's frustrating. I get it. But like you said, they knew what the rule was when they made the decision to transition from FCS to FBS. They supported the same rule in the Colonial Athletic Association when teams left. When we left the Colonial, Georgia State wasn't the only one that left. You may remember Old Dominion left. George Mason left. Virginia Commonwealth left. And they went to the Atlantic 10. They, they were in the same boat that Georgia State was in, leaving the Colonial. You know, for Georgia State, let me be up front, it didn't affect us that much because our football program was not 10 and 0 and we were not, you know, we were still a, a young, we were only in the fourth year of football when we, when we made the decision to move heading into the fifth year. So we weren't in the same boat, but the rule was the same. And now that the shoe is on the other foot and they're 10 and 0 and they've got an outstanding program, the patience isn't there. It's a window of opportunity that they're as good as they are right now. And it's frustrating, but we've all walked the walk and we've all talked the talk and we've all walked the same road. Why should it be any different just because you're 10-0 and you've got a top 25 program? Give them hell, Dave.
I like it. You know, here's here's a novel approach, by the way. But I say to my wife, Chris, am I lying? <laughs> no. If I said anything that's not true, we make the rule. The rule is not in favor of student athletes, and that's who. The whole the, this whole thing is based on student athletes. Well, I mean, to your point, I mean, it's one of the things that frustrates me about a lot of things, and it's not just sports, and it's not just college football. I mean, the rules are rules, and then when they don't fit what we want, then we just hey, throw the rules out, and, and that uh, to me, that's a slippery slope all the way around. And the fact of the matter is, here's a novel concept: change the rule if you don't like it, and then move up, because again, if you know going into it then you got to play by the rules. But uh, we'll see what happens. Again, I think they may have a chance to play in a bowl game simply because there may not be enough uh, teams to fill the bowl slots. But uh, we'll wait and see. Dave Cohen, uh, our guest this week, wrapping things up. Dave, last thing I got for you – well, actually two things. But this week, what have you heard around practice? I mean, Jaden Daniels has been putting together one of the best individual performances uh, of any college football player in, in history. I mean, his numbers are – are just eye-popping. He, he Last week was uh, – I, I don't even – there's not enough words to describe what he's doing, but uh, it's not just Jaden Daniels. It's a, And it's an offensive line that's up uh, for the top O-line award in the country. Uh, Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas Jr., I mean, they're almost automatic, 100-yard uh, receiving games week after week after week, both with over 130 yards this past weekend. So what, what's the talk? What's – What's, what, what does Georgia State have to do to make it a game, have a chance, keep it close, uh, whatever, whatever cliche you want to use, kind of what's the mindset of going in against LSU in a game which is out of conference? Texas A&M is looming a week later to finish the regular season. Um, what, what, what's kind of the, the scuttlebutt there in uh, the metro Atlanta? Well, I think the scuttlebutt is that everybody is excited about the opportunity to play on one of the largest stages in college football. As I was telling somebody the other day uh, or earlier this week, when you think of uh, when you think of situations in college football, stadiums, ambiance, excitement, Baton Rouge on a Saturday night is right near the top of what people want out of college football. You know, we've played at Alabama twice over the year, the 14 years of the program. We played at Clemson. We played at Penn State. We played at Washington and Oregon and so on and so forth. We've never played at LSU before. This is a 15th ranked team in the country. This is a great opportunity. This is probably not a kid on the Georgia State roster who growing up didn't dream of playing at a Power Five program or an SEC program and playing at a place like Death Valley at Tiger Stadium in front of a sold-out crowd on a Saturday night. You know, I can remember driving back, going back to the Furman days. If it was a late, if it was an afternoon or a late evening or an early evening game at Furman, driving down Interstate 85, and I don't think you were there yet, I would pick up the LSU broadcast on WWL and you guys would take us back, take me home back to, to Atlanta. So it's, it's one of those special places, you know, cause you're there. And I think the excitement level at Georgia state to have the opportunity to come into Baton Rouge on a Saturday night is something that every single one of our players is looking forward to as much as those players who were here earlier in the program that played at Alabama or played at Clemson, 
or played at Penn State, so on and so forth. Listen, we know how everybody knows how good LSU is. And, you know, probably half of your fan base is not even sure where Georgia State is or that Georgia State is a Sunbelt Conference school. I mean, I say that in jest. But I think that uh, I think that Georgia State's excited about the opportunity. In order to be successful, they've got to get back to doing what they were doing successfully early in the season, giving Mark, I mean, the offensive line, again, I mean, everything starts in the trenches, Chris. And one of the biggest mismatches, height, weight, skill, is your defensive line, our offensive line. If the offensive line can open up a gap here, a gap there, Marcus Carroll is one of the better running backs in the Sunbelt Conference. Again, went over 1,000 yards, and we were only eight games into the season. Can the offensive line give Darren Granger at least time to throw the football? Can he get the ball in the hands of our playmakers? Robert Lewis wears number one in his jersey. He's our leading receiver now with 52 catches and seven touchdowns. Our number two target is Talik Williams. He wears number 16. He's got 38 catches. He's got four touchdowns. Um, can our defense somehow corral your quarterback, Jaden Daniel? I mean, the guy's a Heisman Trophy candidate, for crying out loud. It reminds me of when we did play at Alabama that first year, and I'm thinking our defensive guys, Chris, have got to try to stop Mark Ingram, who won the Heisman that you know, who had just come off winning the Heisman Trophy the year before. How does Georgia State in there go into Alabama in that first season in 2010 against the defending national champions and the Heisman Trophy winner? Uh, you know, it was it was a big score difference. I think what we lose, 63-7. to seven? I'm not saying the score will be like that this week, but LSU is one of the top teams in the country, and we're coming we're, – we're, we're in a three-game losing skid right now against the upper echelon of the Sunbelt Conference. We're going to have to go back. We, there, Georgia State's going to have to go back. They've had a good week of practice. I will say this from um, everybody that I talked to, you know, throughout practice this week, they're upbeat. They are positive. You know, they follow Coach Elliott's uh, leadership. He is not someone who um, lets a loss the previous week carry into the next week of practice. You play the game Saturday, you win great, you lose not great, but we're not going to let it carry over into the next week. Everybody is upbeat. They're positive. They're excited about the opportunity and looking forward to getting Baton Rouge and playing on that stage, which Georgia State only plays on once a year. Well, as Coach Brian Kelly said Monday during the press conference, Georgia State, to be sure, coming in, as, as Dave just kind of pointed out, with, with house money. And uh, he knows his Tigers got to be ready to go and do what they do. And it will be the Panthers and the Fighting Tigers, 7 o'clock inside Tiger Stadium. All right, Dave, I only have about a minute and a half left, but I know there is a, um, there's a sad ending coming very soon, uh, I believe in early December. It uh, supposedly, quote-unquote, will be the final live show of KISS. And uh, I do know that you're an unabashed member uh, of the KISS Army and have been for a while. And I saw an interview earlier this week where I think you said you've seen Kiss Live nearly 60 times. Now, I have spent a lot of money, uh, to be honest, uh, following Jimmy Buffett around uh, the country and uh, the late, great Jimmy Buffett. And when I was younger, he said in one of his songs that don't try to describe a Kiss concert if you've never seen it. So 
You have 5758 shows. I have two. I saw them in Greenville during the original reunion tour and then later that year in Charlotte. Uh, but 57, my friend? I was at both the shows that you were at, by the way. No, we're at 62. I just saw them three weeks ago at uh, Bridgestone Arena in Nashville. That was show 62. (laughs) And show 63 will be December 1 at Madison Square Garden, where I saw them for the first time on July 24th, 1979. I'm going to – this is the – their final two shows are December 1 and 2. I'm going to December 1. That'll be show 63, and I'm keeping my fingers crossed that they will do another residency in Vegas after things die down at the end of the tour. But it's great. It's been a part of my life longer than Georgia State, and uh, sometimes it's tough to describe, but uh, I've loved every minute of it, and I've loved every minute of every show that I've been to. Well, good for you. As Jimmy said, don't try to describe it if you haven't seen it. So that's kind of why I felt like I needed to go see it. And uh, your choice, original lineup or what we got now? All of it. I've, I've been fortunate enough to meet every current and former member of the band. I've interviewed a couple of them on more than one occasion. They've all been super, super nice, very accommodating, which makes me like them even more. Um, I like just about every song over the 50 years. Uh, the show is fantastic. You really get what you pay for. And uh, they're true entertainers. I like, a, I like a lot of other bands, but that is number one. That rises above the rest of the crowd. Uh, but, you know, the, I, I did see the original lineup in 79, and I have seen every lineup since then, just about uh, since then. And um, I don't really have a preference. If, if you could go back in time, I wish I had seen them in 1975 or 76 or 77. I was too young. And they never came to Boston because the old Boston Garden had fire regulations. The closest they ever came was Providence, Rhode Island or Worcester, Massachusetts. And my parents were not about to drive me to Rhode Island or way out in the western part of Mass. So I didn't see them until New York um, as a birthday gift from my uncle. And that's really kind of what started this whole journey uh, throughout all these years, following these guys around. Well, you wanted the best. You got the best. Dave, uh, you are the best. Thanks for joining us on this week's Hearing Voices. I know we meandered around a, a lot of different subjects, but that's why I like doing this show. And uh, wish you and your team, uh, your broadcast team, safe travels over here. I think you'll enjoy. Find the hospitality fantastic as you get ready. Um, make sure you get out here early and, and take a stroll through it. It's it's really one of a kind. And uh, have a great call Saturday night. Look forward to shaking your hand up there before we get uh, before boot meets ball between the Panthers and Tigers. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Chris. Good to reconnect with you, and uh, appreciate you having me on. And great talking to you. All right, that's Dave Cohen, longtime voice of the Georgia State Panthers. They come into town this Saturday to take on your Fighting Tigers again with kickoff seven o'clock Central Time. Well, next week we'll have our good buddy Andrew Monaco, voice of the Texas A&M Aggies. A little, uh, little early Thanksgiving visitation with uh, Coach, uh, or I should say Andrew, and find out what's going on over there in uh, Aggieland. So uh, hope you'll join us again next week. Thanks to uh, Dave Cohen, our guest this week, Harrison Valentine, who puts it all together on the ones and twos. And we thank you for stopping by our little show. Hope you'll do it again next time. Uh, until then, this is Chris Blair, still hearing voices.